there is common grace and there is special grace. Common grace is what God gives to everybody. You don't have to be saved. You don't have to know Jesus. Many people who don't know Jesus and don't even think about God, don't care about God, they're going to wake up this morning. They're going to go about their everyday activities. That's God's common grace. When it's sunshine and it's beautiful outside, it's just not for us Christians. It's for everybody. When it rains, you can't say to the raindrops, hey, I'm a child of God. Do not get me wet. When it's freezing cold outside, you, don't, you can't claim that either. That's, it happens to everybody. But God has a special grace for those who are his. I mean, it's just like in your family. Now, I have three kids. They are the apple of my eye. I will do anything within my power for them. Not that I won't do something for somebody else's or somebody else if I can, but they are whom God has given me that I have special focus on. That's how God is. Hey, you know him? You're his child? Oh, he's going to watch out over you especially because you're his child. If you go out of here with nothing else but that, that would be good news. Amen? The other one would be Psalm 20, verse 5. says, let us shout for joy at your victory. And lift the banner in the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. We got a lot of requests. God will fulfill. Amen. Would you stay with me for a moment? Jeremiah 29. Real sweet here, beginning with verse number 10. Jeremiah 29. You got a pen or paper or pencil, you need to highlight and mark some of this. This will encourage you during the upcoming week. Jeremiah 29, beginning with verse 10. Here's what the prophet says. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declarations, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes 
and gathered you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, we thank you that when you make a declaration, when you make a promise, you stand behind it. Lord, we thank you for the promises of God that you would never leave us nor forsake us. Now, Father, we pray, may the written word become the living word, lived out in all of our life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hope in the midst of tough times. Hope in the midst of tough times. Amen? Are these tough times? These are the times that try men, women's, boys and girls' hearts. Seemingly all kind of stuff is going on. It's much, it was amazing to me as I've been thinking about all this over these last few months. The one thing I, I have been thinking about is this. Did you ever think as much attention and focus as we put on COVID-19, all the changes that have taken place, that now we got our attention drawn to all the racial tension and, un, and unrest that's going on in the land. What would it be like if we put that much energy and that much focus into the things of God? I mean, we're willing to change our very aspect of how we live life based on COVID-19. We've shut down educational institutions. Right now, I'm, in, I'm part of a, I'm on a board with the uh, Wilmington Christian Academy, and we're trying to figure out how to do school this coming year. Colleges and universities, some are letting their students back on campus. Others are, are not letting their students back, back on campus. They're going to do it virtually. What does that mean? Via Internet, over Wi-Fi and all that other good stuff. That's how they're going to get their education. And now, everything shifted temporarily to all of this unrest that's going on with our racial tensions that's in our culture. And it all started when a black man had a police officer, white officer, put his knee on his neck, and you heard him cry and plead for life, and he died. We actually got to see it live. And in person. But though we didn't see that, over 2,000-some years ago, another man was battered and bruised and beat to a pulp. All because he said he was the Son of God. And when they got through with him, they put him on a cross raised him high, dropped him in the ground, and he died. 
Now, the thing about his death, and you can say even both types, both deaths, both Floyd's death and Jesus' death brought attention to a dilemma. COVID-19 brought attention to a virus. But unlike Floyd, and unlike the COVID-19 virus, Jesus died because the virus of sin will not go away. We're waiting for a vaccine for COVID-19, but we do have a vaccine for sin in the world. Already got it. It's already been established. When Jesus died, that was the vaccination. That was the vaccine to solve man's dilemma of how he could get out of the penalty of sin. How is it? Just believe in me. And I like this passage in Jeremiah 29 because it gives us a sense of hope in tough times. And if you don't see that in this, then you need to ask the Lord to open your eyes. Because what is going on in Jeremiah 29 is God is going to punish the nation of Judah. They've been disobedient to God. And God says, you know what? I'm going to place you in captivity. I'm going to put you under the Babylonian system. They're going to carry you away from your homeland and transplant you and transport you to another place. But I do want you to know something, that even though I am punishing you, even though I'm going to do this to you, I still love you. And you know what? I think many of us need that encouraging word. We need to know, especially those of us who know Christ, you need to know, and I need to have this understanding, that Jesus loves you. This I know. Why? The Bible tells me. So. It's not about my feelings. It's not how I think. It's not even based on what I have done. If you're saved today and know Jesus, you've got the hope of Christ. Don't go rewind the stuff that happened in your past. Don't say, well, I, I, I haven't done this, and I haven't been doing that, and, and sometimes I wonder if I'm, no, 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 no. That's bad theology. Your, your theology is messed up if you're going doing all that. If I die today, the one thing you have heard me constantly say at this church, it's not what you do or don't do. It is everything about what Jesus has already finished on the cross for you. That is your security. Not that you dot every I and cross every T, but you rest in the finished work of Christ. Because if you doubt your salvation, if you question if you're saved, what you're really saying is that what Jesus has done was not good enough to save you. And that goes contrary to what I know the Bible says. When he was on the cross and he got to the end, he said, it is finished. Three words. What was he saying? What was the it? The it was the whole plan of God. What he was saying to his father was, I have now accomplished everything that you set me here to do. 
It's finished. It's done. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm yours. And they who are believing me will be yours also. Hope in the midst of tough times. Jeremiah 29.10 tells the nation of Judah, for this is what the Lord says. There it is. There it is. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, underline this. I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. Did you get that? I will attend to you. He's talking to the nation of Israel, but we could also say, if you want to make it personal, he could talk to you. Put your name there. He's talking, in context, he's talking to Judah, but for us today in 2020, you can claim that. He says, I will attend to you. You my, you've got my attention. Whatever it is that you need, I will attend to you. Now, you know, sometimes we men are big babies. We get sick. My wife likes to remind me of this all the time. She says, I can't get sick because if I get sick, the whole house will not function. Somebody's got to cook dinner. Somebody's got to clean the house. Somebody's got to do this. I can't. Even when I'm sick, I can't be sick. <coughs> Excuse me. But when the kids and the husband are sick, we have the metaphoric, the mystical bell. Can you get me a glass of water? I feel feverish. I'm weak and I can't. But the woman of the house, ever strong, ever present. What? She's attending to us. That's what God does. He attends to us. He's telling this nation that's, that's, that's gone into captivity, that's in a, a foreign land, I will. God's saying this. I will attend to you. And not only that, here it is. This is the best part of it all. I will confirm my promise concerning you. I made promises. I'm making you a promise that at the end of the 70 years, I'm going to take you back to the very place where they took you from. Amen. I can stop right there. Because what that ought to tell us is that God is going to stand behind his promises. No matter what is going on in your life, Brother David, Brother Dennis, God says, I will confirm, I will attend, and I will confirm my promises to you. Oh, are you going to have sleepless nights? Oh, yeah. Will you toss and turn sometimes? Oh, yes. Will you have some fears and doubts? Oh, yeah. But rest on this. God said it. I will. It's a promise. I will attend to you, and I will fulfill my promises. For us as believers, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's how you handle tough times. That's why you have hope in the midst of tough times. Because you can go to a Jeremiah 29, 10. 
And find God said, I will attend to you. What else does he tell us? Not only that I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you, he says, I will restore you to this place. Restoration. Restoring. Amen? We have the attending, we have the confirming, and we have the restoration. All in that one verse. Some of us are good with wood and other things, and we go out and get these antiques, and what do we do? We restore them. God is telling the nation of Judah, I'm going to restore you. You know that you're going to go through tough times, and it's going to seem like I left you, and you may be asking, why do I need to go through this? Why do I have to have prostate cancer? Why can't somebody else have prostate cancer? Why do I have cancer? Why are my kids the one? Why, 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 why? Well, wait a minute. Rewind the clock. Stop right there. Who are you and I that we said we can't go through some stuff? Because nobody told you to be big, bold, and bad, or told us, rather, that we say, I believe in God. I have great faith. I trusted him. All right. Brother Milt, what is one of my expressions? Be careful what you say and what you ask for. God does not punish us for evil. But if we go through some things and we have some tough times, he is going to use that to be a witness to somebody else. He's going to say, okay, how are you going to handle this? What can you do to take this tough situation and be a witness for me? You can be like Joseph. At the end of his whole trial, when he's down there in Egypt, when his brothers finally get there, what did they say? Said, here's what they said. Here's what Joseph told them. What you meant for evil. You threw me into slavery. You had me bought, brought down to this land. You did all kind of bad things to me. But what you did for evil, God meant it and used it for good. Hope in the midst of tough times. When you don't have anything else, you got hope. Amen. He says here, for I know the plans I have for you. Amen. He what? He knows. We have in verse 10 and 11 the reason and now the plan. He says, I know. Who says that? Who's saying that? God says that. You may not know, and you and I may not understand, but God says, I know the plans. I have for you. God has a plan for you. Personally. He has a plan for the nation of Judah. But you're not just saved. You're not just living today just because of. God wants to use us. God has a plan for you. The issue and the problem is we got to ask God to reveal to us what his plan for us is. What is it you want me to do? What am I supposed to be doing for you, Lord? He says, I have a plan for you, and each time you hear this phrase, you ought to underline it. For this is the Lord's declarations. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. Plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Wow. He has a plan. He has a plan for our future, and he has a plan to increase our hope. 
man. That's good news. That God has a plan. God has the script. God has my life. God has everything about me already planned out. All I need to do is say, Lord, help me to be submissive. Allow me to allow you to work in my life. However you see fit. Don't put parameters on how we want God to do it. Just say, Lord, here am I. Send me. You know, I say this many times because what I think about sometimes is people who can't sleep at night, they're tossing and turning. And I, I've heard somebody one time say, you know, I don't ask the Lord to help me sleep because I'm afraid if, you ask him, if I ask him to sleep, he really might help me sleep permanently. And I'm like, well, that's a bad thinking. I mean, if you're asking the Lord to help you sleep, he'll, he ain't gonna, that don't mean he's going to take you out of here. My God, what kind of thinking is that? But I understand that because sometimes we don't want to ask the Lord, here am I, send me. Because we say, well, where's he going to send me? What is it? I don't want to ask the Lord, I am yours, use me as you see fit. Because he may want me to do something that I necessarily don't want to do. Hey. But if he is God and he has a plan for you, then everything that's going to, his plan says, is going to work out for your and my benefit. He's not going to put on us any more than we can bear. And in the end of the life, whatever he has planned for you, wherever he wanted you to be, wherever you were to bloom where you were planted, it will become relevant, if not to you in this life, uh, to others in this life, why God had you where he had you. Man, I know why he was here. I know why she was here. And God just simply says, I have a plan for you, for your future and your hope. He says, Verses 12 through 13, he deals with the future. He says, you will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We are to pursue after God with everything we got. Because our natural inclination is not to do it. Worship is not just this Sunday morning from 10 o'clock hour. Worship is every day of the week, 24-7. Monday morning, worship God. Tuesday, worship. All the way through until we come back. Sunday morning ought to be the collective effect of what we did the other six days. Worship God every single day so that when you come in on Sunday morning, you got a reason to raise your hand and say, thank you, God, for you watched over me from last Sunday, last Lord's Day, Till today. Faced a whole lot of stuff, and yet I find myself back in the house of God. That's why I can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of my God. I got a lot to shout about. I can't sit on God as if God has not been good to me. I mean, your son, your daughter calls you and says, hey, mom. You're a grandma. Woo! I mean, your heart gets excited. You're, uh, you skip beats. You, whatever. You got a job, and they say, by the way, we're going to give you a raise. You just don't sit there and go, thank you. Oh, you get excited. Somebody does something good for you. you why is it when it comes to the things of God, we just like, yeah, God, got it. I was glad. 
and it says empty. Your problem is we're not glad. Your problem is God has not done anything for you. I take issue with that because the fact that you're here tells me that God did something for you. The fact that you're breathing, albeit with a mask on, tells me that God has been good to you. So we have here the future. Here's what he says. He says, uh, you're going to call on me. I hope you're calling on him. And come and pray to me. I hope you're praying to him. And I will listen to you. His line is never busy. In the midnight hour, call on him. Early in the morning, call on him. He says, pray, and I will listen to you. You will seek me. I hope you and I are seeking after God. Lord, help me to know you in the power of your resurrection. Not just a surface knowledge, but help me to know experientially and intellectually in my very being. Help me to know you to be the God of my salvation. And I will listen to you. Find me when you search for me with all your heart. The indictment on the 21st century church will be, we did not seek after God with all of our heart. We want to be part-time lovers. We want to love God when it's convenient for us. My good buddy Alistair Begg said the other day, you know what, when you're married or you have somebody significant in your life, do you think they would tolerate you saying, I love you, but you never spend any time with them? Do you think they would tolerate that you say that I love you and you never do anything for you? Do you think they would tolerate that you say, hey, you know what, I tell Sheila, we're married, but this is how this is going to be. I'm going to be around. I'll be here every now and then. And we'll talk every now and then. But I got things to do. You got things to do. And we'll just live in the same roof, but that's how we're going to operate. That's what we want to do to God. We want well, we want to serve God when it's convenient for us. We want to do for God when it's convenient for us. And we basically tell God, when I need you, then I will call on you. God said, that's not how this is. You are to serve, worship, praise, pray, pursue after me every second that your heart is beating. And then, last but not least, verse 14. We get down to here. It says, this is the Lord, this is the Lord's declaration. I think that's the second time he says that. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. Here it comes. And I will restore your fortunes. Gather you from all the nations and places where I banish you. This is the Lord's <laughs> declaration. You know what we tell you? Anytime you see something in Scripture repeated, that means you ought to put special emphasis on that. He's not saying this is the Lord's declaration just to fill the page. He's trying to make a point. This is what God is saying. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. You got the approval. You can put weight on it. If I wanted to and could, I could stand on this rostrum 
it will hold me. That's how sturdy this thing is. I can put my full weight on it because it's able. You and I can put our full weight on what God said. I, this is my declaration. I will promise you. I will restore you. I'm going to take you at the end of 70 years, Judah. I'm going to take you from where you are and take you back to the very place from which you were snatched. And if they could do that, so can you and I. We've got all of that because of what God has said in his word. He promised Judah, but he's also promising us that all we need to do is understand this. There is hope in the midst of tough times. Are tough times here? Amen. If you don't want to say it, I'll say it for you. Tough times are here. But you know what? The world has always had tough times. I wasn't alive at the first pandemic back in whatever it was, 1918 or 18. I wasn't around then. I do know somebody that was. She was a little bitty girl. My wife's great-granny, we call her. She was alive then. So this ain't her first, so to speak, rodeo. She may have been a little girl, but hey, I'm sure she recognized some things that were going on. This is my first one. And I hope to be the last. But you know what? Even in tough times, God has a plan. Somebody might ask me, Pastor, why are we going through all this? I can't answer your question other than to say that it's God's will. Romans tells us all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I've been accused of being overly cautious. Why can't we just have church? Because the pandemic. Ah, it ain't, this ain't, it ain't real. It's, it's, not, it's not real. I was watching TV and the news clipping. There was a city council meeting. People were complaining. You know what? This is bad. The lady that was in charge of the state of Ohio, Dr. Acton, had to resign. Not because of two things. One, people thought she was being overly zealous and with the restrictions and wearing masks and this and that and the other. And the other is because of the racial profiling that was happening to her. She is by birth a Jew. And people were finding their way to her house, protesting, burning swastikas and every kind of other stuff in her yard, threatening her life. All because they are upset because she's saying, wear a mask. She's upset. They're upset because she's saying, social distance. She's upset because she recommended to the governor, by the way, we need to shut this thing down and get the distance between everybody so that we can control it. They didn't like that. And I'm watching our nation and our country. There are multitudes of people that are in that same boat. And some of you might be there yourself. I'm tired of this. I hear that all the time. I'm tired of this. I, I went to go get a single donut. I've been craving a sugar, uh, sour cream donut for months. And I finally come from Cincinnati the other day, and I went by what's the name? Uh, Colton Combs to get me one donut. I got out of the car, and I didn't have my mask. And I walked in, and I went, ooh, 
turn around, got in the car, and when I came back in, the girl said, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. Oh, well, yes, I do. I said, I have to wear a mask because my three heroes were Dr. Acton, Governor DeWine, and Dr. Fauci, but also uh, Cuomo. And here's what, doc, here's what Governor Cuomo said that made a lot of sense. He said, listen, in my house, my kids, my family, my, they're upset at me because I'm telling them to wear a mask. They're, they're mad at me. My dog is even mad at me. He says, but here's what I know. I'm listening to the experts, and this is what they tell us. To wear a mask is just respect. When you wear a mask, you respect me to keep me from you. And when I wear a mask, I keep myself exposing you from me. He says, that's it. And I'm listening to the, 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 the scientists say, every other country in the world has been able to somewhat control this because they wear a mask in social settings. Okay? They keep six feet distance. They're washing their hands and they're using the basics. But we knuckle-headed folk in the United States of America, because this is America and I have freedoms and I have rights, we're going to kill probably by September 200,000 plus folks are going to die because we're unwilling to wear our mask. Does that make sense? No. But I drive that home to say this. That's the same thing in the church. That's the same thing with believers. We're split. We're segregated. We got all kind of stuff floating around. Well, I think this and I, no, 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 no. It comes back to this. God is the cure for all the ills that make up our life and make up the culture. We need to stand up and say, I got the answer. Oh, I appreciate science. I appreciate Dr. Fauci and all these people. But to me, the real answer is to come back to Jesus. God has a plan, even in the midst of tough times. Father, thank you for your word. Bless us. Keep us.